when we don't have a clear picture of the difference between intelligence and emotion, obviously we can get very foolish. We can fool ourselves. When the Rebbe says, for example, that Chachma and Bina will produce an emotion, but it's not a true emotion, does the person having a false emotion know that it's a false emotion? Certainly not. He thinks it's the real thing. He's fooled himself. When a person has a feeling or an impulse coming from the animal soul, does he know that it's coming from the animal soul? Not if he was never even told that there is such a thing as an animal soul. So he doesn't have definitions, he doesn't have any tools with which to distinguish, with which to recognize an animal thought from a godly thought, um, a selfless thought from a selfish thought. There's absolutely no way to tell these things apart unless you have some definitions. And the tendency to fool ourselves and the frequency with which we do fool ourselves is really quite embarrassing. It's, um, it's very dangerous for a person to say, I'm the kind of person who does such and such. And everybody in the room thinks to themselves, you are not. Where are you, where are you coming from? What are you talking about? You are not that kind of person at all. You're the exact opposite. Whatever gave you that idea? So when a person says, I am this kind of a person, beside the particular claim that they're making about themselves, they're also suggesting or claiming that they know themselves well enough to, to define themselves. And that's a very rare thing. Most people do not know themselves well enough to make any definitive statement about themselves other than their actions. And even in their actions, they will tend to grossly exaggerate or underestimate. When a person says, for example, uh, oh, I never do that. doesn't mean never. He means not in the last four days. Or I can't remember the last time means it must have been more than a week ago. Or the person who said, oh, I'm always careful to do such and such, means they did it once, and it sticks in their mind. <laughs> so self, I didn't want to use such a heavy-sounding word, self-awareness, just self-knowledge, honesty about oneself is a very rare thing. And you have to be wise, and you have to be well-adjusted, and you have to be very uh, honest and courageous in order to just be able to make an honest statement about yourself. Otherwise, chances are 99.9% .9 of the time, you're not telling the truth to yourself. Even when we have definitions, even after we know what's what, we still have a hard time being honest about ourselves and not exaggerating or underestimating. Certainly, when we don't even have the definitions. As a result of this confusion, as a result of this alienation from self, we have 
the phenomenon of the last couple of years, last decade or so, where people get caught up in a wide variety of cults. What exactly is a cult? What makes one movement an impressive uh, philosophical position, a legitimate movement, eventually a religion, whereas another group is a cult, and they're crazy, and they're dangerous. What is the definition of a cult? Many attempts have been made at defining it. One attempt, one defi definition is any group that has a leader who has authority over the lives of the followers. So communism is a cult, and uh, a monarch is a cult, and Judaism is a cult, and everything's a cult. Another definition given was that a cult is a place where people go and make radical changes in their lives, sudden and radical changes in their lives. So AA is a cult. Um, a much better definition is that any group that uh, attracts followers, adherents, Hasidim, by confusing them, that's a cult. Because brainwashing is basically the evil, the only evil, by the way, of any cult. Of course, you can disagree with the philosophy of a cult, of any movement. You can condemn their policies, you can condemn their morality, but that doesn't make them a cult. You can condemn communism. That doesn't mean communism is a cult. You can condemn Nazism. That doesn't mean Nazism is a cult. What makes something a cult is that the followers are brainwashed. Now, what means brainwashed? What's the difference between brainwashed and educated? What's the difference between brainwashing and inculcating ideas in children's minds? In brainwashing, you suspend all critical judgment. But isn't that true of any faith? In other words, how does that differ from simply believing, trusting, putting your faith in something? So the methods of brainwashing is one thing, you know, if you want to know how to do it. Yeah. But what exactly is the result and what is the definition? What is a brainwashed person? Just because they have that funny grin on their face, <laughs> does that mean they're brainwashed or enlightened <laughs> or saved? <clears throat> I think that brainwashed means not when you tell a person something that isn't true, not when you give them false information and have them swallow it gullibly. It's when you tell him something that isn't logical and he thinks it is. 
So the issue is not whether the information is factual. It could even be that the information is correct, and you're still brainwashing people. Because brainwashing means circumventing the process of the mind, even if the information is correct. For example, if you come away from Beis Chana convinced that all of Yiddishkeit makes sense to you, you're brainwashed. Because everything in Yiddishkeit is 100% true. But to say that everything in Yiddishkeit makes sense to you, not so. Why do you think that? Who convinced you that things that make no sense are logical? How can you be convinced? <laughs> how can you be convinced that what appeals to your faith is really appealing to your mind? Or in the reverse? Uh, let's be a little more specific. Everything has a meaning. Is that a faith or is that a, an experience? Logic. That everything in Yiddishkeit makes sense to you. What I'm saying is that if we don't distinguish, if we can't distinguish, or somehow we failed to distinguish between faith and knowledge, then we are brainwashed. I put it in different words. Faith is the talent of the soul. Knowledge is the talent of the mind. If we're actually functioning from our soul, but we're calling it knowledge, or we're functioning from our mind and calling it faith, then we're brainwashed. When a person comes away and says, I don't know what the explanation is, it's quite a puzzle to me, but I was taught by the Christians that uh, this guy from Bethlehem is Mashiach. And we all know that Mashiach has to be a descendant of King David. But this guy from Bethlehem didn't have a father. So how did he become a descendant of King David? I don't know. It's a mystery. But I believe it. You can either agree with him or disagree with him. But he's perfectly sane. He is brainwashed if he comes to you and says, don't you understand? The man from Bethlehem, he is a descendant of King David. So yeah, but I thought he was from virgin birth. Oh, that doesn't matter. So wait a minute, does this make sense to you? Yeah. It makes sense to you? That's right. <laughs> so isn't it something you really believe, not something that makes sense? No, no, it makes a lot of sense. That's a brainwashed person. The person who comes along and says, I believe that you are good. I believe it. But in fact, I'm bad. No, but I believe you're good. Whether I'm good or bad is something you can find out. Why are you using faith where intelligence belongs? And why are you using intelligence where only faith can go? That's brainwashed. So if a guy comes away from some movement, from some retreat somewhere in uh, Mississippi, and says, I was taught that... There's life on other planets. And it all makes sense to me. It all makes sense to you? Somebody played with your head. 
somebody managed to slip a subject of faith past your guard into your head, and now you think it got there through logical means. It didn't. So brainwashing, in its very simple definition, is confusing the functions of the human condition. Calling faith knowledge, calling knowledge faith. Calling an emotion wisdom, calling intellect a feeling. That's brainwashed. And you don't need a cult to be brainwashed. You can do it to yourself. And we do. We're constantly doing it to ourselves. Uh, in most cases, there isn't much you can say because the terms are being used very carelessly. Because today, anything you don't like is automatically a cult. And anything you disagree with is automatically brainwashed. So, I mean, they're not really using those words carefully or, or precisely. They're simply saying, I don't know what happened to my daughter and I don't like what's going on. So if they want to know what happened to their daughter, they could easily sit down and talk to her. But they're not going to do that either. Uh, and if, uh, if they don't like what's going on, to some degree, it's because what the daughter is doing reflects back on the mother. If the daughter was doing something completely off the wall, the mother wouldn't feel so bad. She'd say, ah, kids are crazy young generation, who knows what they're up to. But she wouldn't take it personally. Whereas if the daughter gets into Yiddishkeit, the mother takes it very personally, as a personal insult, personal rejection. You're telling me I wasn't a good mother. My kitchen isn't kosher enough for you. The way we raised you wasn't right. Say what, but if I was into drugs, you wouldn't feel so bad. So I think the, the, the only res the best response that I've heard to parents who say, my daughter has been brainwashed because she won't eat from my dishes, the best response is your grandmother wouldn't eat from your dishes either. And she didn't belong to any cult. Which um, is not merely, uh, not merely a, a, a bright retort. It's the truth. How can something be a cult if it's a continuation of what your grandparents did? If a Jewish kid gets into Buddhism, we could call that a cult. Because how does a kid from a Jewish family end up in Buddhism? How could this happen? So then you have to check and see, was he brainwashed? Did he do it on his own? Was he doing it out of weakness? Was he doing it out of strength? What happened? But if a kid who is Jewish is acting Jewish, so what's the question? How did this happen? She was born to a Jewish mother. That's what happened. She's doing what her grandmother used to do. So what's the question? Why? How could this girl come to be doing such things? Who should be doing such things? Buddhists. <laughs> so when something changes radically in a person's life, then the question is, did this happen in a healthy manner or did it happen in unhealthy? What does unhealthy mean? When the functions of the different parts of the human makeup were, were short-circuited, were inverted, 
were, were, were exchanged, where the function of the soul became the function of the brain. Your brain is functioning like a soul. <laughs> You're out of your mind. The person whose heart functions like a brain. And that's a very classical psychological problem for which, from which psychiatrists make their fortunes. When people come to them and their emotions are functioning like brains. They have objective emotions. Or in reverse, when their brain is functioning like an emotion. They can't think objectively, only subjectively. How does this happen? Who knows what causes it? But, but that's, the, that's the result. The result is that what is appropriate for the heart is happening in the mind, and what is appropriate for the soul is happening in the heart, and what's appropriate for the, for the heart is happening to the soul, and everything is just totally messed up. And the result is the person will be logical about his feelings to his wife, he will be deeply emotional about his job, and he will die for his right to not pay taxes. And the faith, the soul energy, is not in his religion. It's in his trying to save money. He will die saving money, which is using soul energy in, a, in the wrong place. He will be strictly logical and uncompromising in his feelings towards his wife, which is totally insane. And when it comes to dealing with his problems, daily problems, he's totally emotional. That's a person with a few problems. And what is the problem? The problem is you've shuffled, you've shuffled your, your makeup, your totem pole, is all rearranged in the wrong order. Put it back in its proper place. You know, the little, little dolls that they have, they used to have, made up of separate pieces. Um, every, every, the hand, the foot, is made up of sep separate pieces. And they're all strung, all strung together on a string. So if you pull the string taut, then it's, a, then it's a whole person. All the pieces fit together. You let go of the string, and all the pieces just jumble. <laughs> now you pull it again, it all straightens out. So to, to, to undo this whole mess, all you got to do is just straighten it out. Pull the strings together, and all the pieces fit back into place, and you've got an upright human being. So when Hasidus comes along and defines for us Almost, almost exactly, leaving very little to the imagination uh, as to what the function of the mind is, what part of the mind, which comes first, what is the result, what produces this, what happens if you don't do that, how is it going to end up if you skip a step, where does faith belong, where does intelligence belong, where do emotions belong, then at least we have a fighting chance to not make fools of ourselves. Without that, there's no way, there's no way we can know what we're about. So the fringe benefit 
I mean, obviously, the purpose of studying Hasidus is to get to know God. But the fringe benefit is that along the way we get to know ourselves. And that's necessary. Because when you fall apart and you're brainwashed, you're not going to get to know anything, much less God. <clears throat> so the Rebbe back when said that the purpose of Hasidus is to prevent Jews from being fools. The classical examples of people confused about these functions and about these aspects of human personality and so on is where the Jews before Hasidus came around and even some Jews after Hasidus came around were very sincere in their attempts to attain the virtues described in Torah. So for example, one of the virtues in Torah is to be humble. So with all good intentions and with the utmost devotion, you set out to become humble. What a can of worms that can be. How do you become humble? And what do you say to the person who tells you in all sincerity, I'm humble. <laughs> what do you say to that? Is he or isn't he? And if he's not, what did he do wrong? He tried very hard to be humble. So what do you do? It's a great virtue to concentrate on your davening and not be distracted, to block out all other thoughts, hear nothing, see nothing, feel nothing, just be totally turned into you. If a person says, you know, when I daven, I don't hear anything. You believe him? There's a famous story about this chassid who came into a village in Russia and there was a man there who had a reputation. Had a reputation that when he davens, he hears nothing. So the chassid went into shul when this guy was davening and he, and he walked up behind him and he pinched him. And there was no response. And he was very impressed. So he pinched him again a little harder and the guy jumped. He says, what is that? He says, oh, I'm sorry. I thought you didn't feel anything when you were davening. He says, well, I didn't feel the first time. <laughs> this, this is not, <laughs> it sounds like something a comedian would make up, but this is, this is actual, I mean, this is how we all behave. You're trying to concentrate to the point where you won't feel any distractions. You won't feel anybody pinching you. So in your attempt to do that, you manage to ignore the pinch. Does that mean you didn't feel it? I mean, is there a difference between controlling yourself when you're pinched versus not knowing you were pinched? Of course there is. But usually we, f we fail to make that distinction. Look, I didn't react, did I? So I didn't feel it for all practical purposes. <laughs> A person says, I really would love to do such and such. Does he mean that? Is that true? 
Well, no, I don't. Re I wouldn't really love. I, I wouldn't mind. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I would mind, and I have no intentions of doing it. But under other circumstances, maybe things would have been different. That's what I meant when I said I would love to do it. So why can't we talk straight? Because we have no definitions. In yeshiva, we would, we would go to our mentors, to our teachers, to our mashpia, and we would say, I don't know what to do. I want to learn. I want to learn. It's making me crazy. I feel terrible that I don't learn. I need to learn. I want to learn. You want to learn, but you don't. That's very serious. Especially when people say, I want to learn, but I can't. That's very serious. I mean, if you wanted to, if you wanted to, uh, to walk, to stand up, and you couldn't, wouldn't you go to a doctor? So if you want to learn and you can't, shouldn't you go to a doctor? I mean, that's serious. So all of us in yeshiva who didn't learn, even though we insisted that we wanted to learn, were we all really neurologically damaged? And we couldn't get our body to do what we want? No, we didn't want, obviously. Then why did we insist? Why did we cry about how much we wanted to learn? Because we were making one little, one little mistake. What we meant to say is, why don't I want to learn? I would like so much to want to learn. Look at these guys who love to learn. I'm so jealous of them. But I'm not saying, but it's not true that I want to learn. The fact is that I don't. What am I complaining about? Because that's not the way I should be. I should want to learn. If I wanted to learn, well, then I would learn without any problems. So why don't I want to learn? But we didn't say it that way. We said, why don't I learn when I want to so much? So we simply were not recognizing what was going on inside of ourselves, calling it one thing when it was something else, and that tripped us up. Years went by and we didn't learn anything because <laughs> we were busy wanting to learn so much and never dealing with the fact that we didn't want to learn. And of course, people who are who intend to be dishonest, people who intend to, to avoid the truth, use this very cleverly. I mean, in politics and government, these euphemisms, these misdefinitions of things, mislabeling of things, is very useful. It gets you around all sorts of responsibilities. I'm just thinking the other day. You hear these horror stories about going to a doctor and being uh, coming out much worse off than you were when you went in. There's a book that doctors use that describes the thousands upon thousands of medications. Uh, what they're... Huh? The PDR. It describes what it's made of, what it looks like, what are its indications, and what are its counter-indications. 
Now, if doctors would speak plain English, I think we'd all be a lot safer. <laughs> if instead of the column being titled counterindication, it would say danger, I think we'd all be a lot healthier. The word counterindication, that's dangerous. You take a look at some of the counterindications. <laughs> I mean, just I'm making this up, but it's not far from the truth. Given a given medication, these pills, these capsules, all right, indicated for nervousness and high blood pressure. Counterindications: uh, blood clots, seizures, <laughs> arrhythmic uh, heartbeats, or sometimes fatal. The doctor reads this and says. Oh, those are counterindications. And so he gives it to the patient. Because, I mean, what's so frightening about counterindications? If instead of counterindications, it would say possible danger or possibly fatal, I mean, that would be a little bit more sobering than counterindications. I mean, is that a little bit of an understatement? So in our own lives, when we use terms that are misleading, that, are, that, that don't quite tell the story, that, uh, that distort our own inner functions, we are brainwashing ourselves. We end up convinced of things that simply aren't. And that's very foolish, very embarrassing. It's not even a question of where it's coming from. The question is, what is it? What is it? Is it a desire to learn? No, it's not a desire to learn. You, in fact, do not want to learn. But you're trying to tell yourself that you do. You're not even trying. You've, have, you've already successfully convinced yourself that you do. How you manage to convince yourself of something that is totally untrue, that's brainwashing. That's brainwashing. When a person, for example, I mean, a, a, a more relevant example, you come back home and your mother says to you, how can you, how can you accept all this on blind faith? And you start arguing that it's not blind faith. It all makes a lot of sense. After all, you start giving all the arguments and all the ra rationalizations and everything else. And your mother can't believe this. She can't believe what you're talking about. You're out of your mind. And you get angry at her because she's being totally irrational. You're giving her very logical arguments and she's not listening at all. And she can't understand what in the world you're talking about because you're talking nonsense and you think you're making sense. When a person comes along and says, ah, oh, Judaism is just a bunch of faith, you know, things you have to accept on faith. Do you feel defensive about that? Do you feel like you have to say, oh, no, 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 no. It's all logical. Most of us do. Or would like to, anyway. The truth is that there are things in Judaism that are completely irrational. There are things in Judaism that are very rational. If your mother says you accepted things on faith, blind faith, sure, of course you did. What are you arguing about? What are you defending? 
What are you trying to make sense out of? Something that has absolutely no sense to it? When we try to fit things into the wrong peg, into the wrong hole, the trying to fit the wrong peg into the wrong hole, that's brainwashed. When we're dealing with a basic appetite and we're calling it an ideology, that's brainwashed. When you're dealing with a faith and you're calling it logic, that's brainwashed. If you're dealing with something that should be perfectly logical, but you're all emotional about it, that's brainwashed. In all of these cases, the brain is not doing its job. It thinks it is. And how you manage to confuse your own brain, that's brainwashed. So, so the methods vary. They can sometimes be very harsh methods where you break the person down harshly, physically, uh, violently to where they, they get disoriented so that their brain no longer knows top from bottom. Or you do it very gently and very subtly and with love bombing and with all the other gimmicks that... Uh, but the purpose of the brainwashing methods or the, or the, the uh, goal is to get you to where you can no longer distinguish not between right and wrong. Again, a cult may be telling you the absolute truth, but they've gotten you to where you, you can no longer distinguish between your own functions. You don't know whether you are believing or knowing. You don't know if you're feeling or thinking. You don't know if you're just wanting or admiring, you no longer know where your own behavior is coming from. The whole problem is that Nazis were not insane. They were perfectly normal. The, in the Inquisition were not a bunch of madmen. They were perfectly well-adjusted, normal human beings. That's the scary part. If they were monsters, we could dismiss them. We just say, look, stay away from monsters. <laughs> but they weren't monsters. They were your neighbors. They were normal human beings who ate three meals a day, had families, raised their children, cried at sad movies. Perfectly normal human beings can be your worst enemy. They don't have to be deranged monsters. Oh, this Nazi hunter who once said, when he catches up with a, with a notorious Nazi, he's always shocked at how decent the guy looks. Or what he say? Monsters, why can't, why don't monsters ever look like monsters? They just look like normal human beings. Right, so you, you can't, you can't recognize a monster by, uh, by, by physical appearance. They're normal human beings. They're not psychopaths. <laughs>